0: All right. Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. Uh, this week, we have basically editor Emil Stonic chatting with senior food editor Chris Morocco and associate editor Alex Delaney. And they are talking about one of the greatest things on earth, coffee. Particularly, everything you need to know about brewing and enjoying better coffee at home. And after that, we are airing one of the interviews we did back in November at our live podcast show, uh, this one with Carla Lali Music and Brad Leone talking about fermentation, how Brad delved into that world, and eventually how that fermented uh, into his hit YouTube show. It's alive. Sorry about that one. Anyways, let's do this thing. Here is Emil, Chris, and Delaney. Hello, friends. Chris,
1: Alex. <laughs> hey, Emil. How's it going, Emil? Oh, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm like a little bit, to be honest, a little bit under caffeinated right now, which is uh, kind of a funny place to be in when you're uh, hosting a podcast about coffee.
2: I've had one and a half cups so far. I held back on the second so I could have another uh, half cup later this afternoon.
1: Wow, you really are pretty like measured in your dosage. I, I have to be,
2: otherwise it just, I kind of go to a bad place, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like coffee, And un- like the right amount of coffee is a great thing. Too much coffee for me, terrible thing. Oh, it's
1: game over. Yeah. That's like, you know, I guess it's like, like anything. anything else. Yeah. You know, that's just coffee it's like anything else. <laughs> um, okay, so we are here today talking about coffee because in the February issue of the magazine, the healthiest issue, we have a whole back of book section. I guess that's kind of inside baseball. Nobody calls it back of book, but that's for for those of you out there who don't speak magazine speak, it's the last section in the magazine. We, that is the basically section of the magazine and the whole, th- the theme for the whole section is coffee, making Oh, my God. Whose phone is ringing? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's okay. You're a dad. That's fine. fine. No, (laughs) sorry. If you have kids, it's fine. (laughs) So, anyways, yeah. The section is about coffee and specifically how to make better coffee at home. And when we were thinking about putting this together and what kind of advice would be helpful for people, we were really trying to think about, you know, you don't have to be the like mustachioed, third wave coffee shop type of person in order to make better coffee at home. There are just a few things that you can do that will make any cup of coffee that you make at home better. So starting with the beans. What what's what's the deal with grinding coffee at home? Do I really have to? Can I, you know? It's like I go to the supermarket. I'm looking at all the bags. I got all this ground coffee. Sometimes it's in giant tubs and it's very affordable. Can I buy that or do I really need whole bean coffee? All right. Well, get, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Chris a question. Okay. Yeah. Chris, would you ever buy
3: pre-ground black pepper? Never. Why?
2: Because the the flavor kind of just flattens out. The aroma, you know, it just loses its pungency. It just, and it kind of brings out some of the worst qualities in pepper, you know, without kind of retaining as many of the good ones. So you kind of get this sharp kind of metallic aggressive hit of kind of heat, but without like a whole lot of flavor to go with it.
3: Yeah, it's the exact same thing with coffee. Basically, the minute you grind a coffee bean, it starts leaking flavor. And if you buy beans that have been sitting on the shelf for weeks or months or years or whatever,
1: they're going to be a fraction of what they could be. So, I guess what you're saying is like a, you have to think about a coffee bean as what it is, which is a, it's a fruit, right?
2: It's it's the seed of a fruit. It's the yeah. seed, yeah.
1: So and that seed of that fruit, if you grind it up, all of the kind of flavors and all of the oils and things like that that are inside of it, once it's ground, those start to kind of evaporate and disappear, and you're left with a cup of coffee that tastes a lot less.
3: Sure, way like, less. If yeah. you've ever if you've ever had a cup of coffee that and it kind of makes you think it tastes like cardboard mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. yeah some kind of old paper, like mm-hmm. that's
1: that's a symptom of pre-ground coffee. There's just nothing left. Yeah, Yeah. this is like continental breakfast. You're you're tasting the
2: roast, but you're not tasting the bean at that point at all. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Okay, so grinding your beans matters. That's, I mean, I think we can agree that probably, like regardless of what kind of beans you're buying, whole bean is better than pre-ground. 100%. And you know, we didn't talk about this in the magazine, but I'm curious, I mean, I guess, how does, where does that, where do you guys fall on the little coffee pods? The like, you know, you just like throw them in the machine and press it down and i mean that's ground that's
2: pre-ground coffee right it is i mean obviously it's you know it's sealed in such a way than like a modified atmosphere so it's there's a time and a place just like clamshells of salad greens you know with like baby arugula i mean there's a time and a place yeah. like less less time and less places for me just because i care about coffee so much but in an office environment or you know depending on what your setup is like can you train like bob from accounts to like care about coffee if like that's just what he wants you know for his 11 o'clock I, you know maybe not
1: right so w- w- so just so we're clear we're not shaming anybody no no oh, what no. you
2: like i mean just to get this out of the way i mean what you like is what you like and you should never let anybody tell you that like your choices are wrong you know you want just like really dark roasted beans like go for it you do you
3: yeah we're not gonna yuck your yum but i will make a comment on the pods they're terrible for the environment that's true that's so bad and uh if you can if you can make a cup of coffee without you know
1: killing some trees Right. It's fine by me. Well, yeah. you know, and I'm gonna say if I'm sitting in the Jiffy Lube like waiting for my oil change, I would rather probably see one of those like instant one pod, one cup sort of situations than a pot of coffee that's been simmering <laughs> on like yeah. a burner with a burner underneath it for like God knows how long. It's kinda sludgy. Yes. Yep. Yep. But time and a place, time in a place. Okay. So whole beans, that's the move. That means you're probably gonna need a grinder.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: 100%. And what, I mean, like, but what's the deal with
2: grinders? You basically you have blade grinders like your twenty dollar Krups or Cuisinart grinder, or you you step up to a burr grinder where you have. So just to recl- the
1: the blade grinder that you're talking about, that's the one where it's kind of like six inches tall and it's got like a removable top. You put the beans in, you yep. put the top mm-hmm. back on, you press the button, and it's like. Bzz,
2: bzz, 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 bzz. And, and I, yeah. I truly, I, I I will stand, you know, behind this hundred percent. If there's one thing you can do to up your coffee game, grinding your own, even with that twenty dollar Krups grinder it'll be the best money you ever spend. Because people, you know, will certainly nerd out on, oh, but a burr grinder, you know, where you have these rotating conical burrs, kind of more like a pepper mill, if you will, you know, kind of grinding things into kind of uniform shape after like multiple passes around like the, the grinding cones. A blade grinder, it's kind of chopping your beans and it's not doing it, you know, to as um, specific and uh, uniform a size, but it will transform your coffee. And, and there are some things that you can
1: do when you're using a burr grinder, right, to get a little bit, because the problem is that the blades are just where the blades are, and the beans are where the beans are, and that means you're going to get powder on the bottom and then kind of like more chunky stuff up top. Yeah. But you can, I mean, when I was at a time where I was still unconvinced as to the burr grinder, you know, like whether or not I was really going to spend money on a burr grinder, which, you know, it's not a lot of money. You know, you're going to spend between like $100 and $150 probably yeah. on one, but it's still an investment a good investment, I would say, but with my little blade grinder, I would shake it. Mm-hmm. I would I would buzz a little bit, I'd shake it, I'd buzz a little bit again, shake it, buzz a little bit again, that way just to get those, you know, the, yeah. the, yeah. the pieces circulating a little bit.
2: Absolutely, that's a good trick. Yeah, um, and,
3: and the other thing that people talk about with a burr grinder is that it doesn't heat the beans. Um, so, right. and this is, again, this might be a little nerdy, but if you're going to grind your own coffee beans, you want the first time that they're subjected to heat to be whenever they touch the hot water, not when they touch a blade or a motor that's kind of heating up and it's going to like mess with the oils, mess with the flavor, mess with the freshness. So that's why in the test kitchen, we use a burr grinder. Right,
2: because you can dial in the the setting, you know, such that you know, like roughly, like what size the the, the grounds are going to come out as. With a blade grinder, you're kind of guesstimating. You're looking. You're mm-hmm. you're kind of tamping that top down, peeking. You know, kind of saying, oh, is this a little finer than yesterday? Well, you know, who cares? It's 7 a.m. We got to get going here. You right, know? <laughs> right, right.
1: Well, and so this is a little bit 2.0, but also what you're what you're describing is that, you know, you need different. G- like a different consistency to the grind depending on how you're gonna brew it, right? Like if you're using a, a French press, you because you're just kind of soaking the beans in the hot water, you want a coarser grind, but if you're making on the opposite side, espresso, you want it really, really fine, like almost like confectioner sugar fine. Yes,
2: yeah, like immersion methods absolutely are gonna require a coarser grind because otherwise you can overextract, you know, basically the the solids from the bean and basically turn it bitter.
3: Yeah, yeah, the basic rule there is that like the finer the coffee ground, the more you're going to extract from the coffee Mm. because there's more surface area for the water to touch. So. If you're you know, if you're the kind of person, say you're just looking at a pour over. If you want more from the beans.
1: So hold on, back up just a second. Yeah. A pour over, what are we talking about when we're saying a pour over? Because I feel like people have seen this, but I don't it it, it seems like
3: Yeah. So you know like when you walk into a coffee shop and you see one person that's waiting in front of the counter and they're waiting in front of the counter for like seven minutes and you're like, Why is this person waiting so long for a <laughs> cup of coffee? It's probably because they, they ordered a pour over. It's it's basically a it, a simple version of a drip coffee machine. It's one serving of coffee. That's one co- one serving of coffee beans. That's ground. Put in a filter, and then
1: poured a little bit of water is poured over it for a specific amount of time. And, and that filter is sitting in inside a cone. It's sitting inside over a top cone of the vessel that you're dripping yeah, into. Yeah, so it's dripping directly down into a, uh, some kind
3: of pouring vessel or. Could even be like the thing you're drinking out of.
1: Right. So in that case, you're just pouring the cu- the hot water over them. They're kind of like getting saturated, and you're extracting some of the goodness from the coffee, and then it's dripping pretty much immediately out into the cup. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's let's back up a little bit. So, so we got we got the whole beans. Yes. We're buying whole beans. We got it we got our own grinder whether that's like a little blade grinder which you know you can find those at like any thrift shop like you know they're kind of everywhere and it's like worth bu- having it's worth having one of those even if you graduate to the burr grinder because then you can use that for spices that's a different story yeah. yes <laughs> but what kind of beans should i be buying like what am i looking for like do i have to go to like the fancy third wave coffee shop What am I looking for if I'm just like, I'm at the grocery store, I'm at the like bodega, I'm at the market. What am I looking for on that packaging that's going to tell me that this is a good this is good coffee.
2: Bird's eye view of like coffee and like the bags of coffee, like, I, you know, and this is like maybe getting a little bit 2.0. Um, so you, you you just feel free to shut me down if you need to a meal. But like there's bags of coffee that have expiration dates on them.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are
2: bags of coffee that have roasting dates on them. Interesting.
1: So those are different things.
2: Those are very different things. So if you find a kind of a, a, a bag of coffee and it says roasted on, and it seems to have taken the roasting date was about, you know, a week or so in the past, yours. A pretty solid chance that it's been roasted by somebody who cares maybe somewhat locally maybe not you know but more from like a national kind of like um, specialty coffee company and you have a reasonable chance of getting something that you know is just a little bit more kind of cared for and looked after and you know maybe If you're really into coffee, it'll give you a little bit more of what you want. Whereas a lot of other kind of bagged coffees that are sold at um, grocery stores, what you find on them is expiration dates because Mm. they've been roasted at some point, they've been bagged and they've been kind of, you know, a little bit more engineered to be a little bit more shelf stable, if you will, but really they are never gonna have the the aromas and flavors, you know, that people like Alex and me love to geek out on at three o'clock, you know, in the afternoon. But that's not to say that, like, it's bad coffee or that and that you shouldn't buy it. It just usually tends to be, coffees usually tend to fall into one of those two categories.
1: Right. Well, it seems like that's, you know, a, uh, it seems like it's about transparency, right? Which is the case for plenty of other, uh, you know, things that you buy, you know, food things that you buy. The difference between saying, we roasted this here at this time, and, you know, you want to enjoy a cup of, you know, you want to enjoy beans, what, like around two weeks is like kind of the range a week from to two like, weeks, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's like that's like for the premium experience. Somebody's telling you that they're saying like, if you know, maybe you don't want to buy this after two weeks. Maybe that's not going right. to be ideal. But the expiration date, on the other hand, is like this is like the last possible time that you should be drinking this coffee, right. which could be like a year from the time that it's roasted, which is like a little more sketch.
2: And how it tastes on month one is going to be very much how it tastes on month three, assuming you haven't opened the bag. Right. right. Um and that's like, you know, true of like a lot of Starbucks coffee and stuff. They're not putting roasting dates on most of their coffees. As, you know, and neither do like a lot of like nationally distributed coffee companies. Yeah.
3: And and the thing with transparency in coffee is that if you don't know what's going on, it's probably because the coffee roaster doesn't want you to know what's going on. Mm. So it's basically about having the most information you can about the coffee that you're buying. So you want to know where was it roasted? when was it roasted not when is it going to go bad and where did the beans come from and that's the whole location of beans like chris and i have so many theories and we think we know what beans taste like from certain countries but in reality it's like wine you right you can have you can have a, a chardonnay that tastes like one thing and a chardonnay that tastes like another thing you can have a kenyan bean that tastes like one thing and a kenyan bean that tastes like another thing but just knowing that the coffee roasters care about where the beans are coming from even down to the specific a uh, plot of land the farm the farmer that grows
1: it that's just showing you that they care a little bit more about their coffee and it's probably going to taste better gotcha if they if they want if that information is something that they can be proud of they're going to put it right on the bag 100 you're gonna yeah.
2: see like yeah information I, I think it's great that alex brought up wine you're gonna see information like in the vein of like what you'd find on a wine label mm-hmm. where it was grown even like an elevation the producer you know how it was harvested you know percentages of varietals that went into it you know you can go very deep right
1: so if i'm not trying to go that deep if I'm not trying to like get the like specific like latitude and longitude for this like plot of land where these beans were growing <laughs> and what the farmers' names were and all of that, I feel like most people, the big question is the roast, yeah, right, light roast, light dark. dark roast, and that's like to me. I I, I used to go to this coffee shop uh, in Massachusetts, and the they would always have a a it was a nice third wave shop, and they would always have. A light roast drip and a dark roast drip. And they would always, you know, if people came up and they're like, oh, which one should I, I don't know, which one should I have? They're like, do you like Dunkin' Donuts? Or you like Starbucks? <laughs> and somebody would be like, oh, I like Dunkin' Donuts. They're like, you want the light roast? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I like Starbucks. You get the dark roast. Which is, you know, I think most people, actually how light roasted coffee and dark roasted coffee taste is kind of like an abstraction. So how would you describe that to somebody?
2: Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: yeah, I to, nobody, those of you who are listening at home, you cannot quite appreciate like these two coffee nerds, like <laughs> looking at each other and just both being like, oh, I got things to say. Um,
3: yeah, that is how I feel right now, actually. Um, if I had to put it in, in a single sentence, light roast is the coffee with complexity, and dark roast is the coffee with uh robustness right so yeah power strength power so basically yeah we're getting ideological here Um, if you look at light roast coffee there's going to be a lot more to unpack it's going to be and this is a blanket statement it doesn't refer to every single light roast coffee that's ever been roasted but if you're looking at light roast coffee there's going to be more fruity flavors there's going to be lighter flavors there's going to be more acid not chemically more acid, but when we say acid, it's we gonna mean taste brighter. Brighter, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to drink more like a tea, not exactly like tea, but more like a tea than dark roast coffee does. And then if you look at dark roast coffee, all of those flavors that kind of come out during the roasting, the subjection to heat, they're going to simplify. The longer they're they're in contact with heat kind of the tighter and the tighter and the tighter they get and the darker they get. So you're going to get more flavors like graham crackers and dark chocolate and biscuits um, and roasted nuts, stuff like that. Um, but the thing about the, uh, the dark roasted coffee too is that as those oils in the beans start to develop, right? they come, they rise to the, the surface of the mm. coffee and it actually, there's some kind of uh, evaporation that happens. So the beans are actually less dense um, you would think dark roasted, more dense, more going on. They're actually less dense, so th- there's less oil in the beans. The oil rises to the surface and it actually gives the body of the coffee. So what it feels like when it's in your mouth, right? It gives it a, a richer body because there's more more oils on the surface of the bean. Um, and the oil kind of, like when you talk about emulsifying a salad dressing, mm-hmm. right? It gives the liquid some kind of like thicker,
1: chunkier texture. Mm, interesting. interesting. So there's and you know I mean it, it also seems like there's there's light roast there's dark roast there's everything in the middle you know I feel I feel like for most people something in kind of like the medium range is like what really like like pings in their brain as coffee I feel like I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who you know the first time they have a, a really light roasted coffee which was you know kind of in vogue for a long time I mean you know it's st- it still is but I feel like aggressively light roasted yeah. coffee people are like this. It tastes crazy. It tastes like herbal tea. Yeah, not, right. Yeah, it's yeah. like really acidic and like you know when it's not done that well, it's, it can sometimes be unpleasant to drink. Yeah. And likewise, dark roasted coffee when you've got those like oily, like burnt beans, mm-hmm. that's like I I tend to think if I can if the beans look oily, it's a little too dark. Yeah, it, you know. it,
2: it, it it certainly can be. Yeah. yeah, you usually don't find oily beans like you know in like a lot of specialty roasting companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I feel like that there there's that like sweet spot in the middle where you're like, mm, this tastes like coffee. Yeah, coffee tasting mm-hmm. coffee. The whole roasting light roast versus dark roast. This is kind of like a matter of preference. And is like, you know, to me feels like a range to explore. I mean, again, no shade on somebody who's just like, I like what I like. I'm going to drink that every morning. I'm going to drink that every afternoon. But, you know, I do think that there's something valuable about like bringing home a bag of light roasted coffee, bringing home something a little darker, tasting them, you know, one one morning and one the other, and really just getting to a kind of, you know, that's how you, how you find where your range is yeah. and what you like. Yeah, absolutely. Like if, if someone's like, you know, I'm a light roasted
3: coffee person because they've only ever drank light roasted coffee. It's like, how do you know? Yeah. yeah. You got you to gotta test out uh, the other side of the spectrum.
2: Yeah. And it's nice to have the information on the bag to be able to, you know, retain that kind of information of, oh, I really like this coffee and why, you know, where did it come from? If it was a blend, you know, do I know anything about what, you know, the, the constituent parts of the blend might be?
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. At this point, we have left the store. We have our coffee. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Be it light roasted, be it dark roasted. But it's whole bean. It's whole bean. And ideally, it's got a roast date on it. And ideally, that roast date was, you know, within two weeks of when you're planning to enjoy it. We're there. We are home. Yes. We We are going to make coffee. Now, this is a thing that I feel like really... Like resonant, resonates with like the college student in me, like the like how how much coffee are we using when we're making coffee? Because I remember I used to have a roommate who would just like well, he'd get like a big tub of Maxwell House and he we'd have our like automatic drip Mister Coffee sort of thing and he would just like sling. Coffee in there, and it was just like he's like, Oh, I like it. I like it really dark. I I like my coffee really strong. And you're like, Is that is there is there really a range to like how much coffee you're adding? Is there some kind of golden ratio? Like, what's the how much coffee are we using? We've ground it also, we've ground our coffee. We've ground our coffee, cool. Yes.
2: Um, I mean, basically, you know what most people look like as a uh, look at as a ratio is one to sixteen uh, in terms of ground coffee um, by weight to water by weight. So we're looking basically at putting two to three tablespoons of ground coffee in for a, like a twelve ounce cup of coffee they are going to make like as a pour over, for example.
1: Okay,
3: and it yes, totally. But what Chris said before that I think is actually really important when you think about coffee, and you know. In the test kitchen, people talk about this with baking, too, measuring by weight. Mm. Remember when you were talking about how you can adjust the settings on a burr grinder, if you want to have a finer grind or a coarser grind, a tablespoon of coarse grind coffee is going to be much less coffee because it's not as compact than a tablespoon of uh, finely ground coffee. So if you really want to get to that 16 to
1: 1 ratio, do it by weight. Gotcha. Okay. So that's the next level. That's like, probably like, once you've got the burr grinder, once you've got the, then you're like grinding it and then weighing it out and then. Well,
2: I think the other, the thing to go with that though is like, you don't necessarily have to do that every time. Like, yes, they're doing that every time at blue bottle and like other coffee shops, you know, where you are paying $4 or $5 for every cup of coffee. Yeah. But at home, you know, I think if you have like your your lucky magic coffee scooping spoon, you know, as like many of us do, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's about one and a half of these with like the water up to here in the mug that my grandma gave me, you know, eight years ago, you totally, know, totally. and like and then like, yeah, you don't I- I'm not weighing anything in the morning. Are you kidding? You know, right? But, like young people like bellowing for toast, like, you know, like <laughs> making <laughs> demands, trying to make like Amber or tea, you know, and like not like freak out. So yeah, I'm not weighing anything in the morning at all. But at a certain point along the way I sort of stopped and like did a little check in about, okay, what are my rough like, you know, volumetric measurements that kind of convert to this sort of golden rule?
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, I definitely like am not weighing things. I'm not not, not breaking the scale out at like seven thirty in the morning. That's just not happening. Yeah. But you know, I do know I've got my I like brew with a pour over. I've been using the same like plastic pour over cone for like ten years. I put it on a quart size mason jar. I've got my like burr grinder and it's got a little dial for like the you know we're making like four cups of coffee, so I like dial it up to four, and then that's Boom. you know that works for me. You know I feel I feel like it is how you know how granular you want to get, how nerdy you want to get, but at the end of the day, it is also about. Your taste and your preference, and finding something that works for you. But adding more. But I guess the the real question is: is adding more coffee make better coffee?
2: No. No. No.
1: Absolutely not.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh it's hard to describe, but you'll bring out too often like too many of like the bitter, kind of like sort of like undesirable traits in a coffee if you have too much that you've extracted into like too small a volume of water. You know, and I think, you know, adding sugar and milk, you know, like I I put milk in my coffee, that has a balancing effect, you know, where like, yeah, I can brew a much stronger coffee in theory, you know, than like the, you know, the measurements we just described. I can put milk in it and it kind of rebalances it. So, you know, how you're treating coffee on the back end does have like mitigating effects, you know, whatever you've done, you know, at seven, seven o'clock in the morning.
1: Totally. That's a really good point. And I feel like, you know, how you take your coffee, like I'm a black coffee drinker. And so, like, I like drinking some of the lighter roasted, like more acidic coffees. Black, but I feel like I've also heard complaints from people who are the cream and sugar people. They put that into their light roasted coffee, and then all of a sudden it's it's like really thin, yeah, really thin and watery. It it does taste like tea, yeah. Um, But to me, like a really, really dark roasted coffee, black, it's like a little more than I can handle Mm -hmm. in the the morning. Yeah, I, I think the thing to think about when you talk
3: about someone who's like dumping coffee into the into the coffee machine and being like, "I like strong coffee." At that point, it doesn't matter how much coffee you've put in the machine, you've already made your choice with the beans that you bought, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- the decision of, oh, I'm going to have light or strong coffee doesn't happen when you really make the coffee. Gotcha. It happens when you buy the beans. So if you bought light roasted beans and you're using that 16 to 1 ratio, it's going to be a different flavor than, you know, dark roasted beans and you're using the 16 to 1 ratio. So it doesn't really, I mean, it does matter how much you put into, the, into your, you know, AeroPress or your pour-over or your drip coffee machine. But in actuality, it really matters more which beans you ended up buying in the Mm.
1: first place. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah,
2: because frankly, like certain beans only have so much to give. Yeah, right. Right. So at
1: a a certain point, you're kind of wasting coffee if you're just dumping more and more and more coffee. You can only extract so much flavor. You can only get so much caffeine. You're only, you're kind of limited by like the physics of the situation. Totally. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you said a word, said aeropress, <laughs> and we've also yes. mentioned pour over. Yes. So we're talking about methods of brewing coffee. So I've grounded. I've, I've maybe I've maybe I've eyeballed it. Maybe I've like measured out. I put on my safety glasses and like measured out. You know, sixteen to one ratio of of beans to coffee. How are we brewing it? Because I feel like there's there's like a lot of like there are kind of two like paths. There's like the there's like the high tech where you have like an escalating like price situation. Like you can get sold on all the bells and whistles of some automatic machine, some of which are really good. Some of which are kind of meh, a case of diminishing returns. And then you have the kind of like low tech, low investment methods. Where, where are you guys and what are some of your favorite ways of making coffee? I think that's actually one of the biggest myths about coffee is that you
3: need to invest a lot of money in in whatever machine you're using to brew your coffee to get good coffee. Mm-hmm. Chris and I, most days in the test kitchen, we use our little plastic pour over cone into a glass carafe. And,
2: and that's what a I do filter. at home, too. I don't have a coffee maker at home. Yeah. I have a grinder, but I don't have a coffee maker. I yeah. just have, yeah, my filter and cone set up, and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's not about investing in equipment necessarily, you right?
3: Know. For sure. And I think the other thing you have to ask yourself when you're when you're picking, you know, I think Chris and I both like a pour over the best mm-hmm. for for making a cup of coffee. But when we make a cup of coffee in the afternoon, we usually do it around three o'clock. We're splitting a cup of coffee. You know, at that point, we've already been caffeinated for the day. We just need that little extra boost to like get us through the day. But if you're making coffee for more than just one or two people. Like I would use a French press if you're gonna keep if you're gonna keep uh, to the to the cheap coffee making
1: methods. It's, mm-hmm. it's also
3: about how much coffee you want to make.
1: Gotcha. So the pour over is like kind of the ultimate low tech. It's like you know a cone. You put a filter in it. You get it wet. You put the coffee in. You pour the hot water into it until it fills up your cup, and then you've got coffee. Yeah. So then. We've got the French press, which I feel like people are familiar with. You know, you're, that's the one where you're like, you're putting the coffee grounds in, you're filling it up with water, you put the little hat on it, and you plunge plunge the plunger down so that you filter out all of the, the grounds and get your coffee. What is an AeroPress?
2: What does that mean? Aeropress is a great little, you know, kind of bit of coffee brewing equipment. I want to say, what does it cost? Like 30 bucks, maybe? It's kind of a cylindrical kind of device with a plunger on one end where you can kind of put the grounds in one end and put um, then sort of, Put the the water in on top of them, and then you have this just this tiny little filter. Like you, when you buy one, like you get like 200 filters or something for like very inexpensively. You sort of screw a sort of um, a mesh cap with a filter on the underside of it to that um, cylinder and then you invert it and plunge the coffee down. It sounds a little bit more complicated hearing myself describe (laughs) it than it really is. Um, It's like, it's actually quite a a simple bit. You did a good job of describing it. It's kind of like, imagine like a syringe, but like you're putting where the needle would go, like you're putting coffee and water in, and then you just, you know, you basically put a top on and flip it upside down and 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 plunge it into you're
3: not injecting it into your your body. And you are not putting it into your bloodstream. (laughs) Mainlining coffee. not (laughs) directly.
2: (laughs) And it's great, I mean, it doesn't make very, much coffee. It Mm -hmm. makes like maybe seven ounces. I use it primarily uh, when I'm traveling because it is a very compact little bit of kit that um, travels really well and the filters you don't have to worry about kind of getting them all crumply or whatever.
1: So you take that if you're like you know I'm going to be staying in this place. I don't know what their coffee setup is like. I know I'm going to want my cup of coffee. It's just me. You're going to pack your AeroPress which weighs like nothing. Nothing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit of you know, some coffee. Do you are are you are you into the the portable grinder?
2: Oh yeah, I have a I have oh, a God. couple of uh, hand grinders. <laughs> well, because you know I I got my whole beans as Alex uh, instructed me to, yeah? and I can't I can't lug around you know a thirty pound like coffee grinder you know on vacation. So a hand grinder does the job. I mean, look, if you're trying to make coffee for four people, you will hate yourself. Please, in that case, <laughs> just run your bag of beans through you know your coffee grinder before you leave for the week, and you know what, like it'll be fine. Right. You're doing what you can. Yeah, yeah, you're doing you're doing the best you can within reason, right. um, but that AeroPress is, is great because it's an immersion method, you know, where, by which we mean, you know, putting grounds directly into water, you know, mm-hmm. not just pouring water through it. So you get a very full, very rich extraction. And um I even like I'll make it kind of extra strong in the aeropress and then just thin it out with a little bit of water just so I have enough volume. You know, gotcha. kind of so back, like the making back end. like an Americano yeah. once you've got pulled an espresso yeah. shot. People kind of like, I don't know, people talk about aeropress as though it's like can potentially make a shot of espresso yeah. as though it's extracting under pressure, which is not the case. No. I mean it can make very strong you know, perfectly fine coffee. You know, if you want it to, but it's it's not like an espresso method where you literally are. You know, you are increasing like the atmospheres inside. You know, uh, yeah. the machine to extract under pressure. Okay, and the fact all that right, we are talking right. about atmospheres now, I think is uh,
1: my cue to wrap things up in the I feel like uh, we beginner's were guide to well brewing behaved. coffee. I'm
2: literally sitting here with a coffee flavor wheel, yeah. just in case. I-, <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring it up. Okay, but it's just in case. All right. I've got savory <laughs> spice, grain and cereal, nuts, sweetened sugary chocolate, dried fruit, berry, stone fruit, tropical fruit. anyway. Guys, I'm, I'll be fine.
1: Thank you so much. Let's go, Let's go drink a cup of coffee. All right, sounds good. I'm down. Okay.
0: <laughs> all right, thanks to Emil, Chris, and Alex. And now here is Carla and Brad.
4: So, Brad, (laughs) I was thinking about this today because I was thinking, well, how do you kick it off with Brad Leone, who everyone knows, and like, obviously, we know each other really well. And then I was like, we really do know each other pretty well, because I think right now in the test kitchen, you and I are the veterans,
5: we're the only ones left. Well, <laughs> Morocco doesn't count anymore. He
4: doesn't count because he came and he us. went away and then he came back. But I started in August 2011. That's right. And you were the same month? I feel like we were almost the same month.
5: Pretty close, yeah. I took a job as a, as a dishwasher. In and the uh, TK.
4: That yeah. was, this was at Four Times Square. Yeah. So this is going back. I didn't have my job. I was an right. editor.
5: Oh, it was, everything was different. Everything and, was um, different.
4: But I feel like even back then, like I knew a few things about you. I knew that you loved um, slicing deli meat, even then.
5: Oh, yeah, it was my first job. I grew was- up, Mike's on the corner in Fairf- Fairfield, New Jersey. Uh, that's what I did. I mean, all day. it was just running a deli slicer. And uh, I love it. I love a deli slicer, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, there's something to be said about a thinly sliced meat. Yeah. uh, (laughs) There really is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as you can see in our ham sandwiches that we made today. Other um, people
4: could have sliced the ham, but when we were planning it, it was like, obviously Brad's going to do the ham.
5: No, I can't take that risk. You know, all of a sudden it's it's a little too thick or something happens. I just, I like to do things myself.
4: Yeah. So there was that. I knew that about you. I knew the deli. I knew that you were from Jersey.
5: Yeah, North Jersey.
4: Right, North Jersey. Northern
5: Jersey, okay.
4: <laughs> and I think I even knew that, um, that your lady and my cat had the same name.
5: Yes. Yes. Yeah, Peggy Peg. is the name. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. She's not here today, but uh, she's taking care of our yeah. lovely children. My
4: Peggy's not here either. <laughs> um, but I don't think I knew, and I don't know when I knew, that you loved fermentation.
5: Well, it kind of happened uh, organically, you know, no pun intended. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so, like, you know, as, as you know, I took the job doing, you know, as a kitchen assistant and yeah. was helping out, and we were doing cross-testing and recipe development a little, and I was also doing a lot of the, all of the shopping and the dishwashing and stuff, and then, you know, once that started to grow a little bit, and we, by the time we moved out to the World Trade Center, um, you know, I was doing all the sourcing, and we would, we have a great walk-in, and we're always doing different recipes and stuff, and a byproduct of that is that sometimes there are leftovers. Right. You know, so we started fooling around with just fermenting a little bit, and it all really started with uh, a friend who gifted me a SCOBY for a, a symbiotic community that's, of bacteria and that, yeast. That's and, a
4: real friend right there. <laughs> yeah. Someone who, like, yeah. gives so she, you their
5: SCOBY. A lady, she, she's like, hey, you got to try this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, and, um And... So we started making kombucha and like that, really that's kind of that was the first episode of It's Alive and that's really kind of how it, it all started. Yeah, when I
4: look back on it now, it really was the kombucha that I remember you doing the most and then obviously it was the first it was the first video.
5: It was yeah, and it was kind of just like a little project on the side, right? You know? It was like in between the jobs. We had some little downtime or whatever. You can go tinker around. You know, I, I like my projects, right? You know,
4: and now and you have we have a whole area of the kitchen fermentation fermentation a small, a little nook. Yeah, it's got a nook, but there's a lot of scobies over there now.
5: Oh yeah. And
4: you said today you had to feed you had to feed the ladies today.
5: Oh, feed the girls <laughs> today. I actually did that today. You know, nice little tea solution, and you know. Uh, it was the first episode of It's Alive, but also look, it's my least favorite. Looking back, like I like it in a way, but it's also it was so sloppy, right? And you know my uh, kombucha. Production process now. I mean, I don't want to say sophisticated, but it's it's come a, it's come a long way. We're not siphoning by mouth anymore.
4: You 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 would do things differently. Yeah. I I have the same thing. And in fact, when that when that video was being edited and it was being it, this was like way back in the day when I would look at look at the food videos before they were published. And I remember there's that part where it overflows and it's a thing. And I was like, this this isn't this isn't good. No, this is a mess. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I um, was like, we we don't want to keep, and it was, and and I was the only one who thought, and I was like, no, 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 it's great, it's great, and I think that it 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 is what feels fun and real, Well, yeah, and that carries through, but I was like, no one needs to see. <laughs> no what is this mess? <laughs>
5: this guy is an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, No, but, you know, I think it really dials it back into the human element of it. Right. Where we're all trying, you know, people like cooking, and we all like cooking, and it's not a clean studio. We make mistakes, things happen, the hose falls off, things spill (laughs) on the ground, and that's what happens when people take these recipes, I mean, not that this was a recipe, but, um, you know, when when you're cooking at home, things happen, you know, and, like, even, like, in the test kitchen, like, things happen, and, like, for a long time, we were always shooting hands and pans and overhead, and it was very clean. Right. And it was very curated in a way. And then like, you know, we started, as video started to take off, they're like, all right, Brad's got something. We don't know what it is yet. <laughs> um, you know, that, that clean video, that's not going to work. Like right. that, like he sucks there. <laughs> so like, just it was actually, honestly, it comes, I think it came down to like Grossman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a gentleman who, who was the art director, uh, right, art director.
4: Now works now at Apple. No, yeah, we don't No want to one knows it. what he does, yeah. but that's but how uh, it is. We at. I when think he, he was like,
5: just you know, just go follow Brad right around. Right. Just go, like, just he's doing something. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Like people like hanging out with him. Just like, just follow him, and that's where Vinny came in. Right. And that's where Vince just started. Sh- yeah.
4: yeah, Vinny.
5: Well, don't clap yet. He didn't join us tonight because he had <laughs> other things to do. Oh, he's
4: not with us tonight. But, no, he's not mm. with us tonight.
5: But uh, Matt Hunziker is, you know, he's a, it's a, it's a three-part band and, you know, Matt Hunziker, he's over here somewhere and he he does a lot of the editing as well. It's not, most of it, it's not just think
4: I think Vinny not being here sort of keeps in line with his snuffleupagus kind of, you know, persona. Like, you, everybody talks about him, but you never really see him.
5: It's all in my head. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, but so, so going back to the, to that kombucha and the, the experimentation part of it, cause I think that's also at the heart of the projects. Yeah. Like, did yeah. you have a recipe or, so this lady gives you a SCOBY <laughs> and you're like, I know what this is for. Like, Allie's how army. did you make your first, like, what did, what was the first batch? It was good. So it was like,
5: <laughs> she gave me these things and she's like, oh, you got to feed them and then taste it. And like, it, literally every time you do it, you learn. Right and like I still like you still I love that you never really stop learning and not only that's not just fermentation that's cooking I think and um, so yeah they gave me I I got the scoby and she gave me a base recipe which was uh, 70 grams of sugar 70 grams of sugar and seven grams of tea and you need the black tea for its tannins or whatever and then you just feed it and you times it times whatever and I did a small batch but then I'm like well this is a lot of work like if we're gonna do it we should try to up the production a little. And it started coming out much better than the stuff we were buying and, and consuming normally. Yeah. And then we just started eat, you know, drinking it amongst the kitchen. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, that was like, you know, three years ago. Yep. Yeah, still
4: drinking it, still here. Yeah, it's
5: good. And every time is a little different. I stopped labeling it, you know. I right. don't know what flavor it is anymore, but right. <laughs> you know, I, but it's there. There's
4: a piece of tape on all of them and like a date. Yeah, and that's yeah. probably
5: old. It's probably not even the actual batch. Yeah.
4: And then from kombucha, so I have a little I have a, a little list of um some of the things, but some of one of my favorite things that you do that also is one of the things that that you really believe in that sometimes you have to convince the rest of us is some <laughs> of the garlic products.
5: Yeah. Well, everyone's scared of botulism, you know. And <laughs> and it's real, but it's actually harder to It's harder to get sick from botulism than you think. Right. I mean, the easiest... Not really. I mean, the easiest way to do it is put garlic in olive oil. I mean, that's a big no-no. But for the most part, as long as it's not in a complete anaerobic environment, uh, it's... Don't worry about it. So,
4: so when people get the sniffles, right, sometimes you'll just say, eat, eat a raw garlic. Like that's...
5: You don't just go eating a raw garlic. You got to crush it first and you got to let like that allison... Oh,
4: the allison. You know, yeah. The allison's where it's at.
5: And, you know, that's when you crush it and it's a little two-part thing and it, uh, it happens and it makes a compound. So what we really think... <laughs> I've said this like a trillion Can't times. Can't you crush it with your teeth? No, no, no. It's time. So <laughs> okay. it thinks that something's eating it and it's like uh, when the <laughs> When the cell walls rupture, they mix and they make a new chemical called allicin. And it's really a defense mechanism right. for, for, the, for the garlic. But you do eat raw cloves of garlic. Oh, yeah. Every and week. you're
4: pushing it on other people. Yeah. And on your wife. Yeah. All, all kinds got, of things.
5: I work for the garlic board.
4: <laughs> yeah. um, but the one that I really liked was the the garlic in the honey, which I think we've got a jar... Coming
5: up on two years. Yeah, Andy stole my recipe. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For the garlic primer, you mean? Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and that's a super simple thing. And it's, so you just take raw garlic. I like to lightly bruise it, crush it up a little. Get that allison go, And then you just just put it in a nice raw honey, and it kind of loosens it. And off the bat, a lot of people message me. They're like, oh, my garlic's floating. And the biggest problem with that, it, it, it's not a problem, but it's the gas from fermentation. So it, it makes like a little bit, it gives it a buoyancy and it floats. But once the gas is released completely, it sinks again. And it gets like, it, it's amazing. And the garlic just stays chewy and pliable. And uh, it loses that aggressive bite. Yeah. And then the garlic its the honey itself becomes very, gives that garlic aroma. And it's just, I and mean, it's great in a braise or a vinaigrette or on pizza or something.
4: I mean, I should have had some today. I got a little, got a little cold. Raw garlic. I know. I don't know, know what make, I was oh, thinking. I don't want to
5: smell. I don't want to, you, you know, you you pick your problem, you know? <laughs>
4: so wait, you would mentioned people, people are sending you messages about what's happening. So... For them when they're doing these things. So when you started the series, did it even occur to you that people were going to try to do these things?
5: I would hope so. Oh, really? Well, I mean, I didn't want to just, it's not just like a a demo. I want people (laughs) to do it.
4: But the you, the way that it, you're going, at least, uh, especially in some of the it's early not a ones, right? It's not like recipe, recipe, right. and even doing fermentation recipes in the magazine, which we tried to do. The research department, they just about lose their minds. Oh, they
5: throw up. They yeah.
4: can't handle it. Well, they're like insane. sending us stuff from the FDA, and we're like, oh my god, and oh. the amount of salt and the,
5: the you FDA. know, it's
4: just like. <laughs>
5: uh, they hate fermentation, man. Let me tell you what. Me and the FDA—we don't really see eye to eye uh, on most things. So but, you're doing
4: it now, and people are like, "You know what? I'm getting myself a scoby. Yeah. I'm getting getting some garlic. Yeah. I'm getting my kraut. Yeah, I'm some making kraut. some dill pickles. A little kimchi.
5: Maybe make some miso. Right. There you go, huh?
4: And then, how much troubleshooting are people like? I get a lot of people t- taking pictures of the food the, oh, yeah. from the videos, from the recipes in the magazine, from the stuff we talk about on podcasts, whatever. Send me pictures and try to look at them. So, can you talk a little bit about some of the f- photos that people have sent you?
5: Yeah. So, I mean, mostly it's like their projects. You know, it's like people are just stoked that they, hey, this worked. You know, a lot of them they don't work and it's a lot of more <laughs> failures and like, like things blow up or something like that. But, like, I've been there, and, you know, and that's, that's, I'm just glad people are trying and, and breaking out of their mold and trying something a little different. Breaking and out of the mold.
4: All yeah. right,
0: yeah. get
5: it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it now. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, and just trying things. You know, it's not a new thing. It's been around for, for right. uh, forever. And um, I'm glad to see it and be a part of being helping it come back. And, I mean, <clears throat> fermentation is so broad. I mean, a lot of people don't think of it, but a lot of the flavors and ingredients and things that people love in, you know, their... Their Thai restaurant, or this, or that—it usually comes from some form of fermentation. Kind of like when that when we made that chocolate episode, right? You know, a lot of people, and I didn't even—you know—a couple of years ago, I didn't even know that chocolate is fermented right. before there. It is. There's a process of fermentation, so it's just—it's just really interesting to see how it kind of relates to a big picture,
4: right? And who are some of the people that you? You know, people are looking, looking to you, and like, okay, Brad's doing this. I can do this thing. Where do you go for your? Who are some of your your fermenting heroes?
5: Yeah, you know, it's kind of that's a good question. Um, I mean, <laughs> so I don't really. It's. I mean, it's, I I pull from a lot. I pull a lot of inspiration from folks who aren't really focused solely on insp- uh, on fermentation. fermentation. Um, I mean, right, I've always been a big fan. My first, when I first started, when I took the job as a glorified dishwasher many years ago, um, my first like, chef that was like a star that I really loved, who I got an honor to meet recently, was Rene Renzeppi. And I just loved how passionate and enthusiastic he still is, even though you know, he got all these crazy awards in this you know, famous restaurant he was still, like, super passionate about his ingredients. And then when they started diving into their fermentation and they have that new book out with, with David, um, I mean, they're going a little deeper, much, much deeper than I. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I guess I would tip a hat to them, Sandor Katz. Uh, but a lot of it just kind of came from me just kind of, I don't know, just taking interest in certain things. I don't, I don't know, know. Yeah.
4: There's always that moment in um, in in gourmet makes and Claire's in Claire's videos. Well, she'll she'll go over to like the computer and like <laughs> start looking stuff up. <laughs> and I was I can't remember if it was in the butter video or one of them. There were some of those moments with you and Claire, just like going on the internet and looking for.
5: Well, yeah. Based recipes. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The internet's a fantastic tool. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, before there was that, it was just books and like, you know, which is no, which is great. I mean, I still hit the book sometimes, right. but I mean, let's not lie. We all, I mean, half of you are looking at your phone right now. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of information that you can get really quick. And right. even though we spent a lot of our time doing stupid stuff on the internet, it is actually a very, very useful tool. And and I'm grateful for that. You yeah, I like
4: the idea of sort of starting with five or six different recipes, and I do the same thing when I'm working on development or trying to come up with something. Where you, you'll go and sort of look at five or six different recipes and find that through line, right. and then figure out, okay, it seems like this and this, or the, the right. constants, and then the other stuff, you improvise. So in times that you have improvised, um, can you talk about some of the some of the failures? <laughs>
5: Yeah, remind uh, me of the, remind me that of didn't the failures. Make it remind may- me of the failures because remi- well, it's kind of like cooking. Well,
4: there was um, an explosion. Oh, no, <laughs> I, don't, I
5: mean, I was going to drift, bring me yeah. back to the failures. Oh, so, like, oh I, okay. So, like, fermentation is kind of like cooking where it's like, you know, you just, you're constantly learning. Right. Um, but some of the failures, you know, the one that sticks out was I was working a while back. I, I, I love Lambrusco. You know, it's like a low ABV carbonated red wine. I, I, I'm just a big fan. And uh, when it's good. Yeah. And I wanted, to make one, I wanted to make one in the kitchen, you know. So I got some, I had some grapes. I had some, some yeast, a little bit of sugar. I fermented it. And uh, we bottled it. And I was like, oh, you know, I think, I, I think it's good. And then we bottled it. And Chris Morocco was standing by me. Oh, all right, well, Chris, let me build up the climax here, all right?
4: Okay, so for, for the record, Chris Morocco is someone who,
5: who he's keeps...
4: He's fine. He's <laughs> fine. He also does have a pair of safety glasses <laughs> at his yeah. station that he doesn't not
5: use. No, he uses all the time. <laughs> and he's safety first, at least, but not today, and um, not that day. So we made this Lambrusco, and we bottled it, well, I bottled it, and... Um, <laughs> I, you know, is was at room temperature, and this was a while back. I learned a bunch, and um, <laughs> it was room temperature, so I was shaking it a little. I was, like, moving it around, and I usually can see little bubbles coming up. I wanted sure. to see if it was working. You right. know, I was getting kind of anxious, and uh, it worked. And um, <laughs> so it, you should always chill. If you're ever going to do, like, a carbonated beverage uh, that's fermented, you should chill it before you open it because it'll always foam up, It's kind of like champagne. You should always chill it first. We Remember did not. that. I did not. And uh, I was like, Chris, come on, we're going to open up this Lambrusco, because he likes Lambrusco, too. <laughs> and it was one of those, like, pop-top glass bottles, and I popped it, and, <laughs> and the whole bottle just, like, turned into atoms. And it just, it, it sounded like a stick of dynamite went off, and it was like, boom! And we were all covered in Lambrusco. I had, like, micro cuts on my face and my hands. Luckily, no one really got hurt. Chris Michelle, He didn't talk for a week. And... Long story short, you know we've come a long way, but uh, it's it, it made him buy safety glasses. I
4: do remember I wasn't there for the explosion, but I came down a little while later, and everyone was like, "Oh, whoa!" It was intense. <laughs> I mean, it was
5: intense. You,
4: you missed a thing. Yeah. And it's fine now, and yeah. everyone is like one of those. But we like... learned.
5: But we learned, and that's what's important, folks. Um, <laughs> but a couple other failures. You know, I tried making fish sauce uh, once. And I had some sardines that were raw, and I kind of chopped them up. I added some some aromatics and some water and salt, and I kind of, like, weighed them. And, like, the traditional way of making fish sauce, you just take fish and salt, it weight, and it ferments, and the juice that comes out is fish sauce. But there's another way where you can kind of make, like, a liquid uh, with a little bit of, like, a salt water. And then you let the fish ferment in it, and, like... I was on the right page. I just didn't really know what I was doing yet. <laughs> so it kind of looked like this, like, nasty gray chum. Mm. And uh, yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> but, you know, I learned that I was just impatient. If I've, I just let that go a little longer and ferment a little longer, it actually would start to clarify. It's not a quick process.
4: <laughs> I feel like you made us taste that.
5: I don't think anyone takes it. There was
4: one. something I had that it, there are certain experiments <laughs> that you're like, hey, want to try? And it's like, yes. Well, I that's kind of my thing. And then you kind of have to look and like, Andy will be like.
5: Oh, people run. <laughs> people run. Chris, I, yeah, Chris, oh, I start talking about breaking out spoons and Chris is up. He's gone. Hey, guys, yeah. you want to taste this?
2: Boom, he's, like, he's gone. And it's like.
5: Boom, he's gone. But uh, everyone's scared I'm going to get him sick. But it's hard to get people sick.
4: Yeah. Take, I have not yet. gotten gotten sick. Don't worry about it. Talk a little bit about, I know, one of your favorite um, projects, and it's a little more recent, was the kraut. Yeah. Which was super successful and very delicious. And then are these things that are jumping from the test kitchen environment into the home? Like, what happens when you bring home, like, a couple quarts of kraut? How are the kids
5: doing with well, that? Well, the kids aren't quite there yet. <laughs> uh, I sneak it in for the younger one. He don't quite know yet, you know, and I kind of just blend it in. He's
4: more of the adventurous eater, right? Well,
5: they kind of, well, yeah, they go through
4: phases. They do, know, like yeah. They
5: all, like, as babies, they're all like, yeah, like they want to eat everything, you know, under one, they just want to eat, wanna eat. But as he gets a little, the one got a little older, he kind of he like, started bad. to form opinions, you know? <laughs> uh, But he'll come around, you
4: know. So you're, um, Having fermentation from at home it's at work, kids are eating miso, fish sauce, yeah, I yeah, mean,
5: yeah, I mean it's in everything you know it's just it's just a layer of flavor it's just that umami you know as long as it does my two and a half year old want to eat a bowl of sauerkraut? no, you know <laughs> do I yes, and, you know, it's more for me, like the sauerkraut's a perfect example, and I think that's a great introduction for people who want to learn how to ferment right. and get into it because. It's super eager, eager to, and it's it's a pretty, it's a very easy process to do it. And it's very, you know, satisfying because you can kind of eat it throughout. It's, you know, at first it starts a little crunchy, right. and then over time it gets like real mushy. But you
4: can eat it right away. But it's kind of like kimchi in that way. Exactly. You can have the fresh kimchi, you
5: can yeah. have the fizzy and I, kimchi. Exactly, and I kind of like both, you know. I like it when it's fresh, but I also like it when it's big, when it's mushy. So it's like, it's nice to be able to do this batch, and it's satisfying, you right. know. It's like, you made this, and like, you can home and you look at it and it's bubbling away like it's like you made that you know it's a thing there's something to be said about making things you know i agree
4: um okay so at one point you were making tapache for people who don't know explain what tapache is
5: yeah another little carbonated beverage um, with pineapple, I was throwing some some chili peppers in there, yeah. a habanero, some ginger, a little brown sugar. It's a Mexican uh, fermented beverage off of pineapple. I kind of deviated off it a little where I like to carbonate it as well. And you let that ferment and then strain it, bottle it, do a secondary like you would kombucha. And it's it, a nice little carbonation. And That was a hit, man. You know, like there the thing was a time you had those
4: in bottles.
5: Those oh, were going. Yeah. Those went out. Those went out a little bit. Little, lo- locally,
4: but there was distribution going well, on.
5: People got their hands on them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wish we could pick that back up. But um, you know, it's it, the thing with fermentation is that it kind of. And it's kind of relative to cooking, like baking, like you were saying with the turkey, like uh, to the, the gentleman's question that he had, like how long is it going to take? Well, that's a hell of a question, you know. Like <laughs> it really depends. There's so many factors. Like right. your oven might be hotter than mine. Uh, your room might be warmer than mine, which would affect fermentation and time and how things go. So it's really don't 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 look for A B C D. It's more you no know, be connected to what you're doing and pay attention to what you're doing and whether it be fermentation or cooking. You have to look at it. You know right. what I mean, and and stop. And like my dad, my parents—they're both great cooks, but they they tend to oh oh like what, what do I do next sometimes, and it's just like you you know the answer, you know like so that yeah
4: yeah I feel like we write recipes or we show things, and the way I do it, it is going to be different when you do it, and the way that and that's fine and that's right. good. And also the way that someone who does it the fourth or fifth or sixth time on their own, that's when you really start cooking, yeah. you know, like yeah. you're don't necessarily need right. the recipe anymore, but you've learned something to look for the next exactly.
5: thing. And I mean, that's fermentation in a nutshell. It's kind of like you find your, your base guidelines and like your, your formats and your, your formulas that work. And then it's just kind of like, well, what do you want to do with that? Right. And it's, so- it is a form of cooking.
4: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's you're transforming yeah. something into you know something on. else, and then you're eating it. Then then you're eating it yeah. or drinking it. Yeah. Um. So what's next, Brad? So the we're gonna have like bottled tapache.
5: Nope. No. Nope. Not at all. <laughs>
4: nope. Um. And then do you feel like you're gonna run out of? Are the you gonna run out of things to ferment?
5: I mean, uh, yeah, the the struggle sometimes is that you it's. You know, they want to do videos that come out quick. People, you know, everyone wants to, quick, you know. Quick, quick. Every yeah. week
4: sometimes. Well, no, I mean, and,
5: but the, <laughs> the problem with fermentation is that sometimes it's, it's not so quick. You right. Know? And, um, We've so, got a couple-year-old miso hanging yeah, out. Yeah, so, we had yeah. that one. It was the, the two-year swap there. Yep. State record. Um, <laughs> and, uh yeah, so, I mean, it, it's fun to veer away from just doing straight fermentation. And, uh, I mean, really my passion, I really enjoy besides fermentation, is... Just going and telling how things are made, you know, like certain ingredients. You know, every like chocolate, for example. Everyone, you know, except for Molly, um, (laughs) everyone loves chocolate. But like, you know, you go pick it up at your store. Like, how the hell is it made? Like coffee, how's it made? You know, like I'm really into just going to the source of things. And we started to dabble that when it's alive, and hopefully there's a lot more coming soon. Um, We were just out in Italy, a little sneak peek and we did olive it's oil. tough
4: sometimes guys well yeah man I
5: yeah. tell you what a lot yeah. of bad oh it's of those months.
4: shoot days are long we know yeah
5: they are <laughs> And you know what I'm not doing is flying first class out there, okay? And, like, so we go and we land. It, it, it's, I'm very grateful, but it is it is work. You know? sure. I'm grateful for that, but, I mean, you know.
4: Yeah, we're not going to stop making fun of you, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're grateful.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Everybody uh,
4: gets that. doesn't matter where you go. Right. Whoever you left behind is like, oh, it looks really nice out there. It's like, we were, it was freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> I was standing right. in mud. Oh, okay. We took a red
5: eye to cold <laughs> rain. Yeah, okay, great, yeah. But, um...
4: Yeah. So out in the world. Out in the world. Out in the world. And, and
5: just telling those stories because, you know, besides me and the folks that we work with, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing really cool things that are involved with food or craftsmanship. And, you know, I do woodworking on the side a bit. And, like, I just like doing things. And, and being able to get involved with people and, and help show their stories, I, I, I really enjoy doing that. Awesome.
3: The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie
4: Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us
3: about this or any other episode, email us at foodcast at gmail.com.
4: Thanks for listening.